From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Josh from Empower. Josh, it's really nice to have you on. Great to be here, Brad. Absolutely. So I'm excited for today's discussion. So to kick us off, Josh, can you tell me a bit about yourself as well as your company, Empower, and what you guys are doing? Sure. Yeah. I'm Joshua Sear. I'm the founder and CEO of Empower. Uh, Empower provides software and support services to gig drivers who want to build and run their own business in competition with Uber and Lyft. And as far as my background, actually, I was a lawyer, worked in the managed network services and cybersecurity services space before that in M&A work, uh, but always have been very sort of business-minded attorney and I saw an opportunity here and um, became passionate about it. And now I'm a tech CEO. I love it. Amazing. Uh, so what are you guys doing with Empower? What are you, what have you created and what's the company do? Yeah. So as I said, we provide, we basically flipped Uber's business model on its head. We've made the driver the customer, and we sell software and support services to drivers who don't want to work for or on behalf of Uber or Lyft and want to work for themselves and want to build their own business and have control over their own future. And we provide them with software that enables them to set their own rates. They get 100% of the fare. They get customer support and other services from us. And in exchange, they pay us a subscription fee. And We are based in Northern Virginia, just outside of D.C., and over the past couple of years, drivers using Empower have provided over 3 million rides to over 150,000 riders and are providing about 150,000 rides a month right now and growing in the D.C. area. It's amazing. How did you decide to do a company in this space? Yeah, so... Like a lot of people, I used to use Uber and Lyft a decent amount, and I would frequently, I I have a tendency to talk a bit, and I would frequently ask drivers how they like driving for Uber or Lyft, and almost every single driver's response included the following two complaints. One, they were getting hammered financially because Uber was taking an increasingly large percentage of the fare, and two, they felt voiceless and without any control. And specifically, they, they just felt like the companies didn't really care about them. And one driver put it in a way that really resonated with me, which was that Uber doesn't treat us like customers. And I realized the driver was absolutely right. And that's because drivers aren't Uber's customers. And everything that Uber was doing and is doing still to a large extent is centered around ensuring that the rider has the best possible experience, but that's often done at the expense of drivers. And I was having that conversation at the same time that Uber was getting ready to go public and taking so much, talking so much about how they were a SaaS provider and not a transportation company. I wasn't really buying that because the reality is they're no more a software company than Delta or Amtrak. And sure, both of those companies have apps like Uber that enable you to purchase their services, but that doesn't make them software tech companies. They're transportation companies that use software to help sell their transportation services to passengers. And Uber does that just like Delta or Amtrak. And nationwide transportation businesses don't work out too well unless they're supported by the government. And that's 
really no different with Uber, except in the case of Uber, instead of the government, it's been private equity. And Uber's lost more money without making a profit than any company in the history of the world by far. And they burned through over $45 billion in, in investor capital, and they're still losing money. And I, I didn't believe that they had a secret plan to make money that they weren't telling anyone about. And I didn't believe it was because they weren't fully scaled or because they had so many competitors. I felt that and still believe it's because their business model is broken. And putting those two things together, I realized that it wasn't that Uber takes such a big cut from drivers because they hate drivers, right? It's simply they have a broken business model. And if they didn't take what they were taking, they'd lose even more money. And so it got me thinking what, and they were saying they were a software company. And I was wondering, what would that actually look like? What would a software company in this space look like? And I had an aha moment in the back of a lift and, and asked a driver, if you could set your own rates and you got 100% of the fare, would you be willing to pay a subscription fee? And the driver was super excited about it and wanted to know the name of the company and the business. And of course, I hadn't a vaguest notion. It was just an idea that I'd had on the spot. But I went home and started to research and realized nobody else was doing this. And the more I talked to drivers, the more I, I saw a need and the more passionate I became about trying to build a company that could be better for everybody. And that's how I got to be a CEO of in this space. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's talk about growing this company. So you had an idea. You're like, hey, I, I got this idea. What's step number one and then up to step 10 and step 100? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of different ways you could go about doing this. Um, but for me, one thing that was very important was making sure that not only that was it a good idea, but that it was a good business idea, right? There are a lot of really good ideas and good products and good services that can be very helpful and make a lot of sense but they should never get started from the perspective of being a business because they'll never be viable businesses in the long term. And so one of the early things that I did was I, I did a deep dive and, and looked at Uber's financials and Lyft's financials and just created a, a business model and a financial model and game plan things out as I thought it was really important to make sure that let's assume everything goes right, but company make money, right? And because there's a lot of businesses where everything could go right, but it's still not a, a money-making business. So that was really, I think, step one. And then step two was also making sure that there was demand for this, right? Just because I think it's a good idea doesn't mean there's product market fit. And I had a pretty good sense. You know, I went out there and I went and saw and talked to a lot of drivers and would they be willing to sign up even without a product? That was a good sign that maybe they'd be interested in actually doing it. If someone's willing to give you their name and their phone number and their email in this day and age, without you actually having anything to give them in return, I felt like that was a pretty good indicator that there was interest on the driver's side. And then gauged rider interest as well. Uh, and, then it's, and then it starts to be about building a team, right? Then you raise money, then you build the product, then you test the product out on a smaller scale, then you go bigger, right? We could, we could spend a lot of time talking about all those steps, but I think in the beginning, it's making sure it's a viable business opportunity, not just a good idea, and also that there's demand for it as well. Absolutely. So you validate good business opportunity. There's demand. You build it. You launch it. You get it going. How do you grow it then? What's the strategy here? Is it just word of mouth and one driver to the next and all that? Or So, so with respect to Empower, we've had a ton of organic growth, right? The fact of the matter is this is just simply a superior product that's differentiated in the market from Uber and Lyft. It's better for drivers. They make more money. They have more agency and control over their lives. They feel better about it because they're the customer. They're treated with respect. 
uh, because we have to, because if we don't, they won't stay our customer very long. And at the same time, riders are saving money because uh, with drivers getting 100% of the fare and the ability to set their own rate, uh, they have a, an incentive and an ability to undercut Uber and Lyft. And so it's better for everybody. And so as a result of which it in many ways can sell itself. And the other part about it is that drivers want it to work. And so they've been our biggest advocates. They, without much prodding, will, particularly early on when we were launching in DC, and obviously they're still getting a lot of rides working for Uber or Lyft, well, they would tell their you know Uber's passengers, Hey, check out Empower. I make more money. You'll save some money. I'm I'm a customer. I'm treated with respect. And riders respect that and resonate with that. We've done a bunch of surveys with respect to riders. And the two things that are most important to people who promote Empower as a rider, number one, of course, is that it's less expensive. And that's to be expected. Almost everyone cites that as a reason. But over 50% of people, of riders, cite the fact that the driver gets 100% of what they're paying as a reason why they're promoting Empower to other riders. And so I think that's really important. And that's messaging that we constantly are communicating. And then also drivers are, they, they want this, they get that the more drivers there are, like the, the bigger the platform grows, the more rides they're going to get. And so they're also willing to refer the platform to other drivers and riders also, likewise, they get in the back of an Uber and maybe they, for whatever reason, couldn't use Empower wherever they were. So they decide to use Uber and they ask their driver, hey, have you heard about Empower? How come you're not using it? And, and yes, a lot of it is word of mouth. Absolutely. So have you done anything interesting with content at this point? I know we, we found you, you've been doing some content stuff. You have a following on LinkedIn. What are your thoughts on that approach? Maybe you're doing a ton of it. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's in the middle. I think we need to be doing a lot more of it. I think that it's interesting. I, I'm not an expert on this at all. And we frankly don't have anyone who's an expert on our team. We, we probably, we're at that point where we need that because there's just so much content out there. Like breaking through all the noise is really difficult. And frankly, I, I would imagine you probably have a lot of expertise on this and, and a lot of knowledge. But my, my sense is that there's sort of two approaches you can take. One is speak very seldomly so that when you do, it's paid attention to. And then the other is speak all the time. And I think until you get really big, you probably in this day and age need to be engaging a lot and all the time through multiple channels, uh, just because I just think that's the way people are consuming information. So I think there's a lot of work that we need to do to increase both the, the, the variability, the various types of content that we're creating, as well, just simply of, of the quantity of it. We need more and to be posting more often and on more channels and with greater frequency and consistency. Absolutely. Totally agree. We do this podcast regularly and post content and I think it was like a year before, you know, really started taking off because you got to constantly be out there and posting stuff. Totally agree. So what's one of the biggest challenges you face and maybe lessons learned as you've been building this company? I would say the biggest like individual singular challenge probably is was COVID. I think that's true for a lot of businesses. COVID was a challenge for everyone in all aspects of life. I think it was particularly challenging in the context of the workplace. And I think that was even more true uh, for startups where being together is so important early on. Uh, and then take it one step further in our space where we're selling software to people who drive people from point A to point B. Uh, when everyone is locked down in their home, that's a bit of a challenge. 
But we took the approach that one, we'd eventually get back to normal. And two, that we could use the time when people aren't going anywhere, frankly, to improve the product. I'd say that was probably the biggest challenge in terms of lessons learned. There's so many things. One thing that was a surprise was uh, the fact that the more successful a startup becomes, the more concerned your investors become, which seems counterintuitive. You start out with an idea to disrupt and displace Uber, which seems pretty out there. And, and maybe it's a good idea on paper and there's huge upside potential. But I think even you know the early investors go into that thinking, I'm probably going to lose all my money. But once you start having success and traction and it starts to become real, that can transform the excitement and hope that maybe this will be huge into fear that it won't materialize, right? Because um, now all of a sudden it's real. Oh my God, I could have this life-changing investment and, and it needs to happen. And, and I'm terrified that it won't happen. And, and fear can cause people to behave in, in unpredictable and oftentimes unproductive ways. So it was certainly a surprise and a lesson learned that the more success we were having, in some ways, the more questions uh, I got from investors and the more scrutiny, not the less scrutiny, which was interesting. I'd say also lessons learned that there's so many, but a few to think of. One, it, it's really all about people. It's starting a business, it take, and it takes a ton of patience. Also, sometimes it may make sense to do things in a traditional way, even if you think a non-traditional way may make more sense. In other words, sometimes the fact that things are done just a certain way matters, even if you think that it shouldn't, and that even if a lot of people think it shouldn't. I think another thing is that things take a lot longer than you think they will. Even if you're absolutely certain something's going to take a month, you should assume it's going to take at least two or three. They just tend to take a lot more time than you think. I think maybe one final thing is that if you can have a co-founder who is committed from the start, there's value there. I didn't. And so I know from experience, there are certainly risks and downsides including in successful companies where there were multiple founders and maybe if there's bad breakups and all those kinds of things, and that can be ugly, but having someone to share, not just the workload, but the emotional load of building a high growth company from scratch, I think can be incredibly valuable. Either that or have a very understanding and supportive significant other. Absolutely. Or a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, starting a business is like so much work. It's uh, it's insane. You don't think about that. It's like having another kid. Absolutely. So awesome. What advice would you give related to that and lessons learned and all this? If you could give some advice to your younger self, maybe before you started a company, became a CEO, all this, what, what's the number one thing you'd say to your younger self? Yeah, I, I definitely say it now to myself and I wish I'd said it more then. It's a great question, but uh, to understand and remember that people are emotional and often act from emotion. I think I have a tendency of thinking that people will ultimately make unemotional, very pragmatic decisions. And that just simply isn't how people are, or at least a lot of people, a lot of the time. And so I think it's important to take the time to recognize how employees or investors or, or partners are feeling, not just what they're thinking, and to try to address those feelings. And that takes a lot of time. 
right? That's the big impediment there, right? Because you feel like all of a sudden now you're everyone's therapist too. But part of, I think, being a CEO and building a company is that you actually do need to play that role to an extent. And you have to remind yourself that people are people. Absolutely. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Any closing remarks before we run today? No, I think this is great. I really appreciate you taking the time and taking the interest in Empower and uh, giving me an opportunity to share a little bit about what we've been building. And yeah, it's been great. Absolutely, Josh. It's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom and advice here. Thanks, Brad. Absolutely.